Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Ethan Diver. And as always, I'll be joined with Kevin Hecht and John Gibson. Um, today, also, we have a special guest, Zach Burroughs. He's out of our Colorado division. So, Zach, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody and uh, give us a brief history and talk about yourself a little bit? Well, uh Good morning, and uh, like Ethan said, my name is Zach Burrows, uh, out of the Colorado Front Range Division. Uh, been out here since 2012. Uh, graduated from CSU up here in Fort Collins, and CropQuest scooped me up, and been out here ever since. So, what are some of the the crops that you deal with, Zach? Um, probably our, our biggest ones, like a lot of our company, are corn and wheat uh, out here. Here we do a lot of Coors malt and barley, uh, a lot of alfalfa as well, and then we have some of our specialty crops like sugar beets and uh, some popcorn and uh, stuff of that nature. Okay, so you said you grow some popcorn? Did you say that? Yep, a little bit. Huh, that's cool. So, uh, wh who is buying the popcorn? Like Oral Redenbacher or like who uh, does contract um, that out? It, it's contracted through a third party, just uh, somebody looking for ground for guys to put it on. Gotcha. Uh, I've noticed that a lot with, you know, with our vegetables and other specialty stuff, you know, there's some kind of middleman that typically, uh, or third party, not a middleman, but that does that, that, you know, gets the yeah. acres kind of assigned to them and then they go from there to get the, get the stuff farmed. So, you know, Zach, uh, um, going off topic a little bit how much uh hemp do you have grown in your area that might be something funny to talk about <laughs> well that's uh that's another specialty crop that's uh sort of an emerging market out here i scouted about 100 acres of it this summer and uh some of the other guys did you know a chunk here and there maybe 30 acres here 40 acres there uh so not a ton but it's definitely something guys are getting interested in zach is there is there much difference from what you do with your other crops when you go out, go out and have to scout the hemp crops? Uh, well, uh, we basically treat it like an organic crop. So, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff we can apply foliarly. And as far as fertilizer goes, these guys are trying to keep it uh, at least uh, in that kind of organic, organic category. So, it's a lot of manure and then, I mean, there's nothing special we have to do. We go out and check moisture, uh, try to give some sort of relative growth stage and just look for bugs or any issues to report back to them. Uh, it's actually a little less intense than a lot of our other crops. Hmm, that's cool. You've seen any uh, funny people walking around when you're checking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they're all kind of funny, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, you know, it's, Sounds like any vegetable grower, really. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, these guys have an idea in their mind, and I think some guys think they're a little funny because maybe they're innovators and yeah. they're, they're not sticking to the norm. But typically, we're talking about people that are contracting acres, right? Mm -hmm. That it's, it's more or less, it's not the farmer doing it himself. It, it's a kind of a third party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these are guys that don't have uh, ground of their own and they're going out to our farmers, our existing customers and asking if they can cash rent or lease fields. Gotcha. 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 And then the farmer does any custom work that they can for them. Gotcha. Huh. So is it like, are those, 
are those people more like corporate people or is it more just kind of individuals or we've seen what those shops are called but well it's uh it's not like a it's not like a green cross shop or anyone come out it's more like corporate people it's people who uh who own uh, the processing facility and they're out trying to source their own hemp instead of buying from their own uh, third party or middleman source. So their, their agronomic knowledge might be a little bit lacking. And I think that's where we come in to kind of help them out with some of that decision stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So there is kind of a corporate feel for as anything in a specialty market. There's all, there's more of a, uh, what am I trying to say here? With with vegetables, I know there's more of a corporate hand involved from like the cannery or the chip manufacturer. You know, they're they're you're dealing more directly with them than um, if you're growing a corn crop. So th- mm-hmm. that's what kind of what you're saying is there's a similarity there. Like the end, the person who's going to spit the product out to market is a little more direct to the farmer, like you would see in a vegetable market. Is that you see? What I'm trying to say. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I'm checking this stuff, I'm reporting it to the farmer because he's hired me to check the field and he's who's yeah. uh, who I'm billing. But yeah, everything goes yeah. through this corporate structure because on their end, it's all about the money at the end. It's all about the bottom line. Yeah, uh, gotcha. They yeah. just don't know what the right decision. They want information about the right decisions to make to spend their money. Sure. Otherwise, they'd just be throwing money at it maybe and never know yeah so what is the water use on something like that is it kind of a drought hardy crop and something you can split wells with corn or something like what's what's the draw to put ground into that instead of keeping it in corn or whatever you know well for us i mean uh this was the first year we really checked any of it and from what i saw i mean i had a whole hundred acre pivot of it and it happened to have a cover crop with it so uh, it was okay. a little hard to gauge moisture usage on it alone, but in other places we did have pivots split up. It had a quarter a, of hemp on it, and I don't think we had any issues splitting the water with it. It tends, it seems like it's fairly drought hardy. It doesn't seem like it wilts and really suffers too bad. The the more water you can put to it, the better you're gonna, you know, the more plant material you're gonna end up with ultimately. I think what the okay. what these guys are seeing a draw for in the farmer's case is. Uh, these guys are looking at cash rent and it's the farmer has no inputs in it and he's getting to custom farm it. So he's getting paid to farm his own ground. Okay. To work. I gotcha. Uh, the other gotcha. alternative, I mean, these, the hemp market's gonna keep building, I think, because there's so many different uses for this plant. Some of the stuff we checked was uh, purposefully bred for the CBD oil. Uh, But then they can still take the plant fiber and sell that off for the fiber to make construction material or clothing or whatever else they want to make out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, um, the area of Texas that I uh, work in, that it was a huge deal during uh, the World War II, a lot of rope hemp was grown down here. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot more than what you, than what the the funny answer for this there's tons of uses for it so it definitely gets gets used widespread so that's what uh that's pretty interesting you know we that's part of the reason why we want to do this podcast was you know to bring the different people of crop plus together and share experiences like this and 
you know, new crops, you know, we're not just bug checkers stomping through a cornfield. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what, I mean, do, is there an intense like insect pressure in, in hemp or? From what I've researched on this, cause I mean, we're, we're kind of breaking ground on this stuff and having to learn as we go. What I understood from the research I found is there's some similar uh, insect pests from corn and some of the crops we grow locally already. Uh, I think it's corn borer can be a bit of an issue in it, uh, uh, some aphid issues. And then, you know, normal stuff you see in sort of a leafy crop like uh, flea beetles and stuff of that nature can gotcha. be a bit of a problem, cutworms. Yeah. Interesting. But, That's pretty uh, cool. From what I saw this year, I mean, I scouted this stuff a lot. We saw plenty of flea beetles, but uh, I never really saw them getting after it that bad. It seemed like it was yeah. pretty, there weren't, at least for now, I mean, we'll see as, as more and more goes in, insect pressure is going to go up. But For sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. As the ends here, or what do they, what do they say in uh, Jurassic Park? Life always finds a way. Yeah, the bugs will find a way to eat something green, no matter what yeah. it is. If it's a mesquite tree or a, you know, a, a you know, a hemp plant, corn plant, a rock that's painted green, they'll find a way. To <laughs> it, you know, so I mean, it, it happens. So. Yeah, yeah. But, mother, Na- mother nature always has the last laugh. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And you, we're we are seeing that big time. You know, uh, a big a thing we wanted to talk about on the podcast, uh, specifically in this episode, has been uh, moisture uh, and when you get excessive moisture. So uh, that kind of ties this uh, nice little segue there, Kevin, into the the meat of the discussion we were going to talk about today. Is uh, outside of uh, our New Mexico territory and part portions of the Colorado territory. We have been extremely wet in the area that CropQuest covers. And um, I'll just go ahead and start us off with this part of the discussion. Um, here in South Texas, we got about six inches of rain from the, the December 1st of 2017 until the 31st of August of 2018. And since then, we've gotten between 20 and 30 inches of rain since, uh, you know, depending on what area, you know, what side of the road you're on. Um, but um, Typically, we get 22 to 24 inches annually, so uh, we've gotten over a year's worth of rain in the middle of cotton harvest. So that, um, as we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, is harvest now, issues. Ethan, some of, the, that, some, of the, some of this is hurricane-related for you, right? Um, yes. So the yes and no, uh, this last bit has been from uh, some cold fronts from the north. So the part of Texas that I, I live and we're working uh, about 75 miles east from Del Rio uh, in, you know, between Del Rio and San Antonio. So we're in the unique area where we can actually get stuff from the Gulf that's strong enough. It'll push towards us, which we got some of that. So we have uh, Gulf storm activities. Uh, we have Pacific storm activities we've gotten. So It'll, you know, stuff that hits, hits the uh, western side of Mexico, if it's big enough, it'll go over Mexico. And then when it comes out of Mexico, it's really not um, very, you know, there's not much wind in, attached to it. It's just a lot of rain usually. And uh, when you get those rains, you get a lot of rain. Like you may get seven inches in a couple of days kind of thing. Um, so we've had Gulf activity, we've had Pacific activity. 
and we've had northern activities um, out of all this. So basically, the three ways that we can get rain, we've got them. They call that a perfect storm. A perfect storm. Uh, <laughs> I guess, man. It's, it's been rough. So, um, you know, uh, from that, you know, um, one of the, the main, we'll, I guess we'll start with what we're, where we ended when it, where the, when the rain started, that's where we'll start at. So, um, we had our cotton completely defoliated, ready to be harvested, and we were in starting just the beginning stages of harvesting cotton. Um, and those unfamiliar with cotton, you have to chemically knock the leaves off. Uh, or you can do it by a freeze, but in August in South Texas, you're not going to get a freeze. So we chemically defoliate our cotton here. Um, so it was chemically or defoliated. Year. What's that? I said, or most of the year you won't get a freeze. Yeah, it typically, yeah. We, last year, we measure our freeze in hours down here, you know, so we'll get, <laughs> it, we typically have about 20 to 36 hours of freeze for the year, you know. Um, we don't get much at all. Um, so, um, anyway, we defoliated this cotton. There was nothing in the forecast, and then it came from started raining, and it hasn't really stopped raining since the 2nd of September um, is when the first rain hit. So, um, so from that, you know, you obviously you have quality issues from the cotton getting so moist. Um, you have the seed within the lint will start to germinate. And part of the way you get paid is you sell your cotton seed uh, as a feed ration. And if it germinates, then you have nothing to sell. So that that's caused some some uh, you know, loss of revenue from that. Um, and this from the aspect of literally getting in a field, you know, where there's standing water and you can't get to it, it caused some issues. Um, so. Kevin, I know y'all have had that same issue. How has the, the sheer amount of water affected corn harvest in the southwest Kansas? Yeah, so about the time the, let's see, I kind of remember this far back. About the time we were making decisions to shut water off, we started catching rains. Um, not big rains, maybe an inch here, half inch or whatever. Then we caught some big rains. In and also we started our temperatures started dropping so we got our big rain and then all of a sudden our highs went from you know 80 to 90 to now we're not getting above 60 and 70 not getting rain still have dense canopy and that's providing some pretty serious uh compaction issues guys are forced to try and get in the field and they're harvesting when they shouldn't be there, leaving all sorts of tracks everywhere. Um, just starting to dry out a few different times and then we get about a 30 hundreds rain and then it makes it muddy all over again. I know I've seen some videos where uh, bulldozers are pulling um, silage trucks through the fields to harvest forage sorghum. Um, it's, it's been a mess. In the last week or so, it's actually been Fair, I'm going to say fairly firm where we're not leaving as big a tracks, but uh, we're going to cause some serious issues for us down the road. So, I, you know, we're down here, we're not in a strict no-till situation. How does leaving a rut affect the next, you know, the next crop in, uh, in your area, Kevin? Well, you know, um, there's a lot of guys around here that will rip. 
but like like you were last winter we didn't get any rain for half a year pretty much six months and that that that's the dangerous thing in my mind is to try and rip this ground up to alleviate compaction issues but you still have to have enough moisture whether it's man-made or through the environment to get everything settled down otherwise we're going to see it all year round and i think that some of this stuff is wet enough that and it's probably going to stay wet that i i I don't know we we, this may be something we're going to deal with for a while yes yeah that uh sorry um yeah that, that's you know so something that you know we have um a lot of peanuts in our area so by nature of peanuts you have to dig them because it's, it's a subterranean crop uh, you can't uh, you know you, you can't just, you know you have to harvest them twice basically you have to dig them and then thrash them off the vines so that's a lot of the problem we're coming into is it's so wet you can't dig them you know dig the peanuts out of the ground because the, the ground is so so moist so um which is kind of a, a weird thing because once you get in and get in the field where it's just dry enough to, to start digging stuff then you have to worry about in those deep sands uh deep compactions that you can't rip out and what the um the side effects of that are going to be you know um, right. you'll have some some major issues you know at, at your your deeper levels that you you could rip to but you know you're you typically don't rip a couple feet down uh or beyond that at least so you know and something i just thought of ethan uh out here in my part of the world we don't have many soybeans but uh the guys in the eastern part of the state they're in pretty rough shape because um we've got beans that are shattering out real bad combines can't even stay afloat to get things cut or or they're cutting low enough, they're bringing in a lot of mud and stuff in the header, and it's, I don't know, there's water holes where they've lost the crop completely. Um, it's, it's, it's starting to be a, a pretty severe issue, and I know uh, in the northern part of Texas, where they're defoliating cotton and stuff, it's starting to be an issue for them, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it's starting to be you know, it's starting, starting to be a widespread issue with this yeah. this sheer volume of water that we've had. I was driving through uh, from Dodge to Central Kansas yesterday, and there's you know there's a lot of people have cut uh, you know hay down or some kind of feed down to to bale it up, and there's just huge pockets that they couldn't even get into to cut. So well, you know, they'll have to deal with that. You know what's interesting is some of this feed it's got we were when all this rain stuff hit here we had i think we got down to 27 degrees for a while on a sunday which turned you know pretty much ripened all of our crop and we lost all of our leaf area and if you drive by some of these forage fields they look they look like a hay crop it's just brown and dead and you bring up a good point john because now we've got a forage that was supposed to be chopped and put in a pile that now we don't have it if we wait too much longer we won't have enough moisture in it to even ensile it so and some of it will probably have to be baled but i don't know we'll see just kind of funny we go go ahead 
well, I was going to say the other side of it, uh, I was out running one of our EM sleds the other night and just the amount of air seeders and stuff trying to get weed in was, I mean, the light, the, it wasn't just combines out running, it was air seeders and uh, guys trying to get their, their weed in also. So it's, we got, you know, multiple things happening all at the same time because of how wet it is. It's kind of funny. I guess the old adage, if we're not complaining, then there's something wrong, right? We go from That's right. not, not having any <laughs> moisture to now like, wow, we have too much. But, I mean, it is causing some serious issues. So, I don't know. We'll have to – I don't know where it's all going to lead, but it's going to – we're going to have to sit down this winter and make some make some decisions on, on what we're going to do because it doesn't appear like anybody's going to get much strip tilling or any ripping or anything done. I think it's just too wet. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's so, I, uh, so how is this going to affect the next 12 months of the next crop and going into next fall? Do you think that, uh, you know, were, were people just ill prepared for this or, or is this something you can't prepare for? I don't think you this know, is like, something you can prepare for, Ethan. I think that, yeah, you know, all along the crops kind of were maturing at a fast rate. And it appeared like something was coming, and it did. And it's it always amazes me how quickly we can get stuff done. You start pulling in 24-row planters and 12-row combines and all this stuff, and stuff gets done in a hurry. People work late, but um, with the rain, it just it puts everything at halt. And I think that it's going to push a lot of decisions and things to make spring very, very busy. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, where we're at because of the lack of a freeze, we typically don't fertilize in the fall anyway because our soils are active. You know, ten to twelve or ten to eleven months out of the year, they're breaking stuff down and metabolizing and mineralizing different stuff. So, um, you know, I, that's what I would say is don't be afraid to. Uh, fertilize in the spring because that's what we do on a normal year. You know, it's uh, if that's any kind of silver lining is of uh, of what's going on is it's okay to do that. You know, if you know if if that's what you have to do, I don't think it's worth putting a strip till rig in when it's you know more a little bit more moist than you would like to see. Um, I think I would push guys to you know um, wait till the spring rather than push it. And those ruts just aren't worth it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think the other thing you got to watch out for too, it's a kind of a caveat because the the later in the spring you go, you just you have to make sure you're watching how much nitrogen and stuff you're putting out because we can burn bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, if you put, do you all typically put most of it up front or? Do y'all put a fair amount through the pivot, or how how do you put your end season nitrogen out? I would say the majority of it, it's all done in the fall. There's still guys that put on, um, start in the spring and then get everything done. Um, and it it varies between dry and liquid, but um, I don't know. Last year being so dry, everybody did a lot of stuff all fall, just because it was open. So, but yeah. it's it's yeah. not uncommon for us to put stuff on in the in the spring it just doesn't mean you're going to be putting 350 to 400 pounds of nitrogen out late 
So it may, and yeah, it, and, you're, you're, and it, it may make us make decisions where we blow on dry, where we run more through the pivot or do other, yeah. you know, have other avenues to put uh, our nutrition out. So. And that, that's what, and I guess that's why I bring that up is, you know, we put our stuff out. I mean, sometimes we have the strip tool rig running on the same field that the planter's on, but we only put it out 30% of our nitrogen with the uh, the strip till. I mean, we put everything else. I mean, but, you know, some of, some of it may be your rainfall periods too. You know, typically out here in southwest Kansas, we don't leach a whole lot. Um, exactly and, yeah. you know, we, and we, we just get away with that so yeah and, and the majority of the time really uh the winter time we don't have that is a wetter time of year but the majority of the reason why we do that is our soils don't stop working you know they're constantly breaking down uh the, the residue from the year prior and you know they're just they're active that much longer that it's you know it's hard to put out a lot of fertilizer in the fall, it's going to be left. Zach, um, yeah. are, are you are you guys mainly fall nutrient applied stuff or spring? We're kind of we got a mix of both. I still have guys that'll go out, you know, and and put a pretty good chunk of their fertilizer on in the fall. Pretty heavy soils out here, and at least recently. Uh, our rainfall hasn't been so significant. I worry too much about it. Uh, I have been trying to push guys more into splitting mm -hmm. things up. Mm -hmm. uh, water keeps getting tighter out here, so especially like wheat, we'll go out and put some pre-plant down and plant the wheat and then wait until the spring and see how the stand looks, see what our water situation looks like, and then make fertilizer right, decisions. Right. Zach, was and, it like uh, you know, back, three or four years ago that, that y'all had a bunch of rain late season? There was a lot of flooding and stuff. Um, yeah, back in about this time, about, uh, I think that was 2013, uh, in September and October, we had what they called a 100-year rain event that caused a bunch of floods, and we had fields completely underwater the way our river and water system works out here. And we were going through a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about now where it was just so wet guys were out trying to, I mean, we had a hard time just getting trucks in and out of fields to get corn and beets out. Everything was getting pulled. We rutted everything up and that created compaction issues that I think in places we might still be dealing with. Yeah. I so. think that is the, the thing we're at now is you don't worry about the compaction that you're creating with harvesting a crop. But we are worried about additional compaction if, uh, with getting the next crop ready. Does that make sense? You know, you're 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 trying to you gotta well, you gotta get your money out of the field, but then we can maybe put some compaction out with the new uh, with the new crop we're preparing for. You know. Well, it's a catch twenty two, Ethan. I mean, yeah, you, exactly. You got, I mean, you got money on the table sitting out there, and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. At this point, we, you don't have a choice. You know, if, if you don't go get the money you have on the table now, you don't have to worry about next year at all. So, <laughs> yeah, you kind of just yeah, throw, the, it, throw the smarts out the window. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. So. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So, what is your soil top out there? I mean, the majority is it sandy out there. What is it like over there, exactly? Uh, most of what I deal with is pretty loamy. We get some sand spots here and there where, I mean, 
we've pretty well got everything, sugar sands and beach sand all the way down to fields that are, uh, I mean, they're just snot silt fields. Uh, yeah, okay. A lot of topography, you know, uh, some, you know, pretty gravelly hilltops, and then you get down into river bottoms and little creek runs. So we're dealing with a lot of stuff, but I'd say overall, uh, probably silt loam is probably the what you'd call most of the soil we work on out here. Okay, so leaching is not the a huge player in your fertility programs. No, or I mean not it's, a big worry. It's always a concern, especially after you know, like that flood year, and then a couple years after it, we had really wet springs. Uh, more than anything, it's more about new plant can get it more than leaching out into the groundwater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not, yeah, I, I'm following you. You're not, uh, you're, you're spending money that the plant can't get to. Yeah. So gotcha. Um, well, uh, I guess while we're talking about fertility, um, is, are y'all having issues, Kevin? And this goes to John too, I guess, um, with, the varus and the the em sled are y'all able to run that much at all with this amount of rain or is it still too wet to even get those in the field i'll let i'll let john take this one so with the the em sled we're since we're pulling out with an ace we can get get into the field a little bit faster um than we would if we were pulling the varus unit uh, with the tractor and stuff um but we've we've really been kind of we're held up from two sides of it too wet and then there's still standing crop in a lot of these fields that we we need to get to um so you know we we're waiting just like the growers are um even if the field's been harvested we're still waiting to get in there and then um you know it's, it's probably going to push some of our run back into uh, you know the spring uh just based on um, what all we've got to do and you know, how late these crops are going to be before they get harvested. So, so yeah, that, that's but, something that I've run into just trying to do our, our, you know, regular composite samples. Yeah. There's a crop standing in the field. You, I mean, you're, you can't, you can't do anything if the crops are there. So. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I've seen, guys that have sent out you know snapchats or different messages and stuff where they're they're trying to get soil samples pulled and it's you know they might be pulling into the dark um just trying to get stuff done so they they're staying up with when guys can get into the field they know what you know fertilizers they want to get out and stuff and the amounts and, and such so yeah. it's it's definitely slowing the process you know full circle well, and what it's oh yeah, <laughs> what it's going to be yeah. is this huge spring crunch. You know, whether it's EC soil sampling, fertility regs. I mean, it's going to just be now. Let's do this. Yeah, I, I wonder what the uh, the soil labs that we use, what their uh, a plan is for that because this is a huge area that that we cover that, and a lot of us use the same two three labs. So, I mean, it's going to be. Uh, pretty busy on their end too just trying to get stuff out you know mm -hmm. well we uh we kind of talked about that uh all last week or so and it sounds like from the lab side of things they can 
they can handle a pretty good load. Um, I think it's something like 700 samples a day that they can process. So, um, you know, I, I think once they get them, it's just a matter of them crunching through it. I, I think they can handle that a, a big slug, but it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that is as much of a choke point as it used to be. I think they're definitely upside, upsized to, to deal with a heavy, heavy flow of traffic on the soil sample side. So, right. um, well, well, guys, um, yeah, that's we've touched a little bit about uh, going into next fall. Is there any other aspects of trying to trudge through this weather that y'all have any insights or comments, concerns? Delightful. Do what you, do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I did see yeah. a, do you guys want to send picture on some rain? We'll send all that we can to you. Feel free. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm surprised we haven't built a pipeline in that direction. It's, it's motivated. Just oh, the, the amount of people that are that are motivated to move this water. This is not done yet. So. Our pipelines only run out of Colorado, <laughs> and there are plenty of them. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I saw an interesting. I saw an interesting picture. It was all those. Uh, like old school cowboy character things uh, that you'd see in the newspaper and it was uh, two cowboys standing there by a gate and in the background you can see these cows and they're standing in you know basically up to their necks in water and the cowboys are standing there with water up to their waist and one guy says I'm not going to complain about the rain because last time I did we had a five-year drought so <laughs> I think that's kind of everybody's mentality they, they're holding their tongue yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, that's the, the beautiful thing about the area that I work in is we have an aquifer that'll recharge. So it's, it's a coarse uh, limestone aquifer and there's actual sinkholes that you can see into the aquifer, but um, there's recharge zones that if things get hit with, with rain, they can recharge. A, you know, you'll see a, a couple inch change in the, uh, uh, in the aquifer levels. And, you know, with all the central Texas flooding that has has to drain through us and all the rain that we've actually had, our aquifer is to the point where we may have to nozzle up our pivots. Like our wells are getting bigger. They're big wells again, you know. So um, there's definitely benefit to this much rain. Uh, you know, you, you just, it, it's, it's hard, you know, dealing with uh, it in harvest, but you know the aquifer is getting replenished and that's a huge blessing to know that next year's corn and cotton crops are going to have plenty of water to get your allocation out. You know, it's not going to be an issue. So. Sounds like but, you just need to pump sure. it all north. Well, I mean, uh, we have a little bit different water laws than what you guys <laughs> are accustomed to. Um, That's why I'm um, saying you just pump so, it north. You don't have any restrictions. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. We actually, you know, in Texas, you can, you can sell water. So, well, there you go. Uh, it ain't gonna be. It's not gonna be done for free. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so but, um, anyway, well, guys, um, I appreciate your time. This is a little, a bit of a, a mid-range link podcast. But is there anything else y'all want to touch on before we part part ways? Mm, I think that's about it. Okay. Well, Zach, I appreciate you joining us and letting us know about your territory and. 
some of your uh, interesting crops. That's, uh, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, this is why we do this to bring the different characters of uh, Crop Quest together and, and showcase what we have. So hopefully one day, Zach, you'll be back on here and uh, have some more insightful things to let us to share with us. Thanks. I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a chance to come on. It was fun. And uh, anytime you guys want me back, uh, I'm good to go. So, well, um, you know, with that, we'd like to thank our listeners. Kevin, do you have our social media handy? We can throw that out there. People can find us. Colt does. Colt, I don't know. Colt, Colt does. Colt's the man. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. And if you would like to contact us, email us at media.cropquest.com. Or, no, media at cropquest.com. Sorry. So with that, we are podcast professionals and delivered a wonderful show to you guys. And I appreciate it. So uh, (laughs) I'm back next time. See you guys later.